even better. All right. Well, hey, while they are heading out, a couple things before we dive in this morning. First of all, those who are online, I want to apologize. We had a little bit of video issues. Uh, you just never know what you're going to get with the uh, with the internet service in the studio here. So, but thank you for our amazing team uh, for for troubleshooting and getting us back online. So appreciate it. And uh, we have some awesome guys back there. Um, the brain, the brain behind the machine, Aaron, he's actually not here today, but it is his birthday today. So if you have Aaron's number, be sure and send him lots of funny memes about birthdays and getting older. So, um, but a couple other things too. So Friendsgiving last week, absolute blast. I think we're going to definitely going to do that again. Um, what was really fun is we invited, uh, if you want to help support the Salt Lake City Rescue Mission, which is an incredible organization, a, a, a very Christ-based, biblically-based, uh, spirit-filled mission, helping the, the problem of homelessness in, in Utah. Uh, Chris Crosswhite is the director. He's been there for a long, long time. Uh, guys, we raised almost $450. And so, yeah, that was awesome. So uh, we sent that up to them to help out with their, with their Thanksgiving event this week. And, and I texted uh, Chris. Chris and I know each other. He's a great guy. And, and he was just so humbled. He just said, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank your church family for doing that. So uh, pretty cool. Um, a couple other things. First of all, uh, a couple other things. Uh, Porter, uh, some of you guys know Porter. Uh, we have so many cute kids downstairs, like they're all a riot, but you might recognize Cor Porter because he will look at you kind of like this and then he'll give you a smile and just melt your whole existence. So um, he had a, a pretty scary health incident this weekend or this week and, um, and they took him to the ER, but miraculously it could have been that things weren't as bad or it could have just been a miracle. Um, it could have been a miracle. So we are just thankful for that. He is, he is back to normal. Um, went and visited them in the hospital that night, and he was his ornery little self, uh, playing with the with the with the nurse and everything. And yeah, there was so so praise God for that. Um, also, want to lift up um, Ashton and Sharon. Uh, they are coming up with surgeries here in the next couple weeks. Um, I didn't ask for your permission, Sharon, but you know, deal with it. Uh, gonna pray for you anyhow. So, but um, Ashton is gonna have his shoulder uh, repaired from a football injury, and Sharon is gonna have her foot repaired from like a rugby accident or something like that. <laughs> Motocross, skydiving. There we go. Um, bear fighting. There we go. There we go. But no, in all seriousness, we want to lift them up in prayer. Um, I know. Uh, it's just anytime you're going through surgeries, and I know we have a lot of health issues and sickness and things like that going on. It's just not a lot of fun, um, especially when you're young and uh, athletic. And there is no off season, is there, Ashton? And so uh, he gets to—he's going to come to football season next week with like uh, Saquon Barkley thighs. So um, he's going to be all legs all winter long. So. Um, but just want to pray for, for them and, and uh, others as well. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to dig into the passage this morning. So God, we thank you so much for this church body, for this community, uh, for this family. God, I thank you that in times of hardship, of struggle, of need, of vulnerability, God, that we can seek you, that we can rely on you, that we can count on you. God, you don't always answer the, our prayers the way that we want you to, but God, we surrender to your sovereignty. God, we thank you that, that Porter is, is just fine, and all the tests came back clear. 
God, I just pray that you continue to work in him and and his family and, and God, all of our other amazing little kids in our church. God, we have so many of them. And God, we know that you love them even more than we can ever even imagine, even our own kids. And so, God, we thank you for that. God, I pray for, for Ashton and for Sharon, um, God, with the surgeries coming up. And I pray that you would use the doctors um, to, you would use, the, they would use the gifts that you've given them. God, and that there would be healing, uh, there would be wholeness, God, that their recoveries would be quick and they can get back to doing the activities that they love doing so much. God, I know that there's so many other things going on, uh, people that aren't feeling well, um, things like that. But God, I just pray that, that even in our weakness, we can know the power of your strength, especially in our weakness. And so God, help us to be filled with compassion and sensitivity towards each other, that we can love each other well. Uh, we can look for ways to serve each other, to encourage, uh, to be your hands and feet to each other. God, we thank you for each one here um, and those who aren't able to make it this morning as well. God, we love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, Nicole and I are much like probably many of you, and one of our primary forms, I love communication. Um, I, I'm a pastor, uh, taking a lot of communication courses on how to communicate, how not to communicate. Um, and one of the primary uh, modes of communication that Nicole and I have are, are sending each other Instagram reels. Are we the only ones? Come on, fess up. How many of you have, you know, it's, it's the old joke of, of, of my wife and I laying in bed next to each other, giggling at the reel that we're going to send each other on the phone, right? Are we the only ones? I, I, I've even sent that one to Nicole. Thank you. So, so like, I'll be giggling and Nicole will be like, what? And I said, you'll see. She goes, just show it to me. I was like, no, it's going to be funnier for you on your phone, right? So... So uh, that's one of the things that we get a kick out of doing. Um, what did we ever do before Instagram Reels? But, but one of Nicole's and my favorite, it's mom's words of advice. And she has, she has these, these uh, teenage or adult boys. And, and before they leave the house, the mom says this, do not add to the population. Do not subtract from the population. Do not end up in the hospital, newspaper, or jail. If you do go to jail, establish dominance quickly. I love it. I love it. Maybe it's just the fact that we have three boys that are teenagers and beyond, and, and so it's sort of like, you know, it's funny, but it's also pretty true, right? That mom wanted her children to understand a few rules before they leave, right? They, she wanted them to know, hey, do this, don't do that, and if this happens, then do this, right? Parting words are so important. We want people to have a clear sense of direction and purpose, Jesus was no different. We've been looking in the Gospel of Matthew for the last, you know, gosh, two-thirds of a year plus. And this morning, we are looking at when Jesus is leaving the earth in bodily form temporarily. He'll come back. But when he is leaving the earth in bodily form, he wants to make sure that his followers then and every generation since until his return are clear on a few things. How clear are you on who Jesus is? I'm sure that in a room like this, we have a lot of different experiences. We come from a lot of backgrounds. We have a lot of different faith experiences, religious expressions, things like that. And, and Jesus, a lot of times, has a lot of different places in religions. 
He is my everything. He is the sovereign Lord. He is the sovereign King. He is my loving Savior. He's a good example. He's my big brother. I can learn from him. He showed me the way, and he kind of helps me out with a little sin loan along the side, right? He, he, we can follow him. He was a good prophet. He was a great teacher, but he wasn't divine. He's a myth. He's, he's, there never really was a Jesus. It's just this is another myth like, like Zeus or anybody else, right? There's a lot of different ideas of who Jesus is, but I'm going to ask you the question, are you clear on what you believe about Jesus? Another question is this, are you clear on who you are? Think about it. Are you clear on who you are? When you look in the mirror, do you know who's looking at you? Who's looking back at you? Another question is this. Do you, are you clear on what it means to be a Christian? A Christ one, a called out one, a sent one, a follower of Jesus? Are you clear on that? Or is it, I don't know, I go to church every now and then and I'm an American, so I'm a Christian, right? Are you clear on what Jesus and following him means for your life? Our ability to answer these questions with clarity, certainty, and conviction will direct the course of our lives now and forever, one way or the other. So last week, we, uh, we left off with Jesus overcoming death, right? He was betrayed, accused, condemned, tortured, murdered, and buried, right? And then last week, we looked at how um, he appeared to Mary and Mary, and he told them to go and tell the disciples to meet him in Galilee, at the Galilee, Right? And, and we, we kind of left off at the little cliffhanger last week talking about why Galilee. It's because it's where it all began. It's where he gave the first call to follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This morning we're going to see Jesus restate and renew that calling and mission on their lives. If you want to join me, we're going to read the last part of Matthew chapter 28. You can follow on the screen or on your Bible, on your phone, whatever, but... Um, it starts off like this. The 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. It's kind of like Mary and Mary, right? When they saw him on their way, when they saw him, they fell on their faces and they worshiped Jesus. They, they fell at Jesus' feet and worshiped him. Now the disciples do the same thing, right? They, they surrender to him. Here's a, here's a bold statement. See how it sits. We can't truly see Jesus and not worship him. If we really see Jesus, the most natural response will be to fall on our face and worship. Now, I know some of us might have a struggle with that because that maybe isn't our experience, right? Like, like a lot of times people will come in and, and uh, why do we stand when we sing? Why do we sing so much? Why do we raise our hands when we sing? Why do people, like, like with their eyes closed, why, do, you know, why are people moving around, right? And it can be weird. It can be a little bit intimidating. You know, some people are more expressive than others, and that's the way God made us. I always say, I'm not a woo guy. I'm a yes guy, right? If you ever go to a sporting event with me, I'm a I'm an in here guy. This is, my, this is my zone right in here, right? But some people are, they're like ripping their shirt off, painting their, we're not going to do that in church. Um, 
but I can, I can show like, like the, the youth showing, like the boys next week, like showing up with Jesus painted on their chest or something like that, right? That'd be, no, let's not do that, right? But, but you know what I mean though, right? The thing is, is when we're excited about something, when we really believe something, we let it rip. We don't care who's watching, right? You ever pick up your loved one from the airport? You're like, hey, don't be awkward. Don't hug me so long. That's, uh, the hug was just weird. Don't, you know, like, no. It's sort of like, get over here, right? That's the way it should be with Jesus. When we really know him, when we really experience him and see him, our, wor- our response will be worship. Now, that doesn't mean that we're always going to be feeling good on that spiritual, emotional high, and we're always going to be singing and everything like that. Singing isn't worship. The heart that we sing with is worship. So like there's different experiences and things like that. Like you don't have to do certain things. You don't have to do certain things in order for it to be worship. I can worship God hiking through the, the forest. I can worship God sitting at, at the coffee shop just talking with someone. I can worship God just as I'm falling asleep and contemplating God during the day and thanking him for who he is and what he's done. Worship is just a vessel. It's an expression of music. Or uh, worship, sorry, music is just an expression of worship, sorry. But they, they, they worship him. It is a willful act or response of surrender and adoration. All the other stuff is a byproduct of worshiping Jesus. Why? Because he is sovereign and he is good. So they worship him, but, verse 17, some of them doubted. What? You're seeing Jesus. You're worshiping. But yet, why do we see doubt? Because a lot of times we see doubt and faith as being mutually exclusive. Right? That word doubt in in the original language is distazo. It literally means to waver, to hesitate. It's the same word that, that is describing Peter. When Peter sees Jesus, Peter and the disciples are in the boat in the middle of a storm. How many of us have had storms in our lives? This week, right? Like he's, he's in the storm and he sees Jesus walking to him on the water. He's like, first response, Jesus, tell me to come out to you. Okay, come on out. And what does Peter do? He steps out of the boat and he's walking on the water. And he's looking at Jesus. And then it says, but Peter... Distazoed. Peter doubted. Peter hesitated. And he took his eyes off of Jesus and looked at the waves, looked at the wind, looked at the storm. And what happened? He starts sinking. Game over? Oh, Peter, you're so dumb. Just drowned. No. He, he looks at him. What happens is that in his distazo, he cries out. He cries out to Jesus and save me, save me. And so Jesus saves him in his doubt. You know what? One heck of a story to be able to tell. We're still telling it 2,000 years later. Peter did not like being in the midst of distazo. He did not like the experience of doubt, of hesitation, of wavering. But yet it's real. He did it. I do it. You probably do it. But what do we do with that? Do we cry out to Jesus and put our eyes back on him? Do we turn this this horrible, painful, testing struggle into a learning and growing experience? You see, doubt and worship are not mutually exclusive. 
Instead, doubt, instead of being terminal to our faith, doubt should build our faith. Now, a lot of us have maybe been told over the course of our lives, don't doubt. Doubt is evil. Doubt your doubts, right? Things like that. But what if we lean into our doubt? Because if it's true, it's true. We don't have to be afraid of our questions. One of the things that we really valued with our kids growing up was encouraging them to ask questions. And oh my gosh, Nicole could write a book of bedtime with our kids because it's sort of like, ah, they're tired, we're tired, let's put it at the end of the day. They would bring out the questions like, why do kids get sick? Why are there homeless people? Why is this? And, and our kids were incredibly deep thinkers. They were crazy. And, and so it's sort of like, I don't know. So Nicole and I, we had so many conversations with our kid listening to their doubts, listening to their questions. We leaned into it instead of avoiding it. And I think it's grown all of our faiths in the process. Doubt doesn't have to be terminal to our faith. Doubts should help us grow. They should, ask a, they should help us to ask questions and start looking for answers. Now, we have to be very careful with, with where we get those answers from, right? Because, because the world is, is, is full of quote-unquote answers, but we need to play the movie out on those too, right? Well, there is no God. Okay, where'd the world come from? If there is no God... Who created all this? Well, it just came from an explosion. Where'd the explosion come from? Well, colliding particles. Where'd the particles come from? Well, distant planets. Well, where'd those planets come from? Well, probably their own Big Bang, too. Okay, where did that Big Bang... You get what I'm saying? I believe it takes more faith to believe that all this just happened on accident than to just believe that there is a really, really smart, creative, loving creator who put it all into motion and has orchestrated it. That's just the way that my brain works. Because anything else, it takes way more radical faith than just to believe that there is something outside of us that created us. Doubt and faith, doubt and worship can be in the same room. Some of us this morning showed up with doubts. Praise God. I did too. I had kind of a rough morning this morning. Several people didn't know it. Just came over to me and just said, can I pray for you? Are you okay this morning? They didn't know. They just listened to the Holy Spirit's prompting in their lives. And they ministered to me, the minister. Come on, people. Like, don't do that. I'm the professional here, right? No, I'm a real person. I had doubts when I came in this morning. I struggled as I'm reviewing my notes. Self-worth, inadequacy, not measuring up, not being good enough, not being creative enough. All sorts of ways that Satan was attacking me this morning. But you know what? We're here. We're worshiping. We're surrendering. Let's keep digging into it together. We choose to worship. We choose to believe. And that doubt actually becomes fuel for the flame. Jesus sees their worship and their doubt as an opening that he can speak into. Verse 18, he says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority. All throughout Matthew, we've been looking at king, kingdom, 
kingship, sovereignty, rule, all these things, right? And so he, now he wants to leave, making sure that they know he's not just a good man, he's not just a good example, he's not just a great teacher, he's not just a guy who can do party tricks with the crazy people and, and create a gathering. No, he has all authority. Jesus is the all-sovereign king. What's cool is that he closes out with this Old Testament prophecy years and years and years before uh, from the prophet Daniel, chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. It says this. This is, this is way before Jesus was ever on earth in bodily form. It says, I saw someone like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, in sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and every nation and every language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Sounds familiar, right? Jesus is kind of like, it's me. You've been waiting for me. The very foundation of Christianity is the sovereignty of Jesus as king. Sovereignty means he has power. He has authority. I should say he has authority and he has the power to back it up, right? He has ultimate authority over heaven and earth. And then he continues this. He he establishes his credentials and then he gives this calling. Therefore, verse 19, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Therefore, that word therefore means so now. Consequently, because of everything else that I've talked about up to this point, now this is reality. Because of Jesus' authority, we have a mission he is the king, and we are his followers and his servants, right? He says, I have authority. I have, I have this, and now I'm going to call you onto my mission. He gives a couple things. Number one, he says, go. Go. Not going is not an option. I remember hearing um, years ago, there was kind of a growing movement within, within some Christian circles of there's a difference between a Christian and a disciple. Not everybody's called to be a disciple because disciples are called for radical surrender and radical obedience, and it's only calling for a few. And basically, we're going to make them professional pastors, right? And so disciples are only the people, you know, there's a small sect of people that are going to be that. That is malarkey. That is hogwash. I do not see that anywhere in the Bible. Yes, there's calling, and there's gifts, and there's things like that, and and God gives different gifts to different people that he entrusts us with, but if you surrender your life to Jesus, he has given you gifts, he has given you skills, he has given you abilities, and we are entrusted to use those for his kingdom. But a part of that is going. Not going is not an option. It requires all of us. And he says, go to all the nations, right? We have to be willing to go across the world. We have to be willing to go across the street. Sometimes we have to be willing to go across the room. Wherever God is calling you to go, go. Number two, he says, make disciples. Now, he doesn't say, have people pray a prayer and then send them back on their way and I'll see them in heaven. He doesn't say that. 
He says, make disciples. This is an active process. It's a whole new life that's lived according to, by, and through him. I love how the exegetical commentary says this. Many understand Jesus' commission and spend all their effort winning new converts rather than anchoring them in the Christian faith and training them as disciples in the kingdom. That's a pretty convicting statement. Everybody wants to seal the deal and then send them back on their way, right? I I know I've been a victim of that. I've fallen into that temptation. If we can just get more people to pray the prayer, we can get more people to, to, to get baptized. It makes us look good. Oh, wait, did I just say that? Because it's about me. It's not about the soul, the human being that just said, I like Jesus, Instead of save and send, it's sort of like, let's disciple, let's, let's pour into that, right? And then the third thing is he does say baptize. Now, what's cool is we hit this on a baptism Sunday. And so, great, this is going to be awesome. We're going to see this played out in real time, right? Baptism is an introduction into the Christian faith. It's an essential component of discipleship. It's not necessary for salvation. I know some, some teaching tries to say, well, if you're, not deci- if you're not baptized, then you're not truly saved. And, and there's certain things that we gain access to when we're baptized, everything like that. I don't see that in the Bible. I think that when we surrender our lives, it is a one-two punch of, I surrender and I receive the Holy Spirit and I'm going to be baptized, right? It's, 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 a, it's all of the same thing. It's sort of like, I follow Jesus, I'm all in. I want to declare that to everybody who will, who will listen to me, right? It's publicly enacting and declaring what has happened in the believer's heart. It's sharing the good news of Jesus, the gospel. Now, notice what we're baptized into. The name of God. That into word is ice. And it says that we are baptized into the name, singular, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Not names of name of God, or name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit. It's name. If there's ever a Trinitarian verse in the Bible, God is three in one. They share the same name. And that's so, that's so powerful, right? And so what's really cool is that we are baptized into a relationship, an identity with a triune God. We identify with him, he identifies with us. That is a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. When someone identifies with you and invites you to surrender their identity into to them, that is a very intimate, intimate relationship. We've been given a new name. We've been given a new identity. We've been given a new life in him. And then fourth is this, teach. Teach them. Teaching is instructing how to do something, right? He says, look at what I've taught you, all my commands. Follow all of my teachings. You've recorded them down. People wrote them down, and and now 2,000 years, we're still reading them, right? So follow the commands of Jesus. Follow his example. Do what he did. Say what he said. Hang out with who he hung out with, right? And then the the, the converse of that is true, too, right? Don't do what he didn't do. Don't do what he said not to do. Because he wants us to avoid living in regret and enslavement into sin. These are not suggestions. They are not options. That word command literally means command. These commands need to characterize it. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. 
we are not going to be perfect until the day that we die and we stand resurrected in the face of, of, of God, right? But we should at least be trying to be characterized by, by Jesus' commands every day of our lives. When we make a mistake, own it. Repent of it. Seek forgiveness. Seek transporta uh, trans transportation. Transportation out of there, right? Transformation, right? What's crazy is that Paul, the Apostle Paul, who is one of the greatest missionaries of all time and wrote most of the New Testament, what does he say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5? He says, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I did not use lofty words or impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who is crucified. And this is where I don't like New Living Translation because you can actually go back to the original language, the original text, and it should say, I'm going to teach only Jesus and him crucified. Not just Jesus, buddy Jesus. Not just health and wealth, follow Jesus, and he'll make all of your wildest dreams come true. He says, I'm going to teach Jesus, the one who is crucified. The cross is at the center of our faith and our identity. Verse 3, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. This is one of the greatest followers of Jesus. And he says, it's not me. I'm not that smart. I'm not that great. I don't have the greatest technology. I don't have the greatest wardrobe. I don't have the greatest, you know, communication style. I don't have this. It's because it's not me. It's Jesus. He later on says that we are jars of clay. We are, we are cracked pots, right? And, and it's through those cracks that the light of Christ shines through. And that's what the world needs. They don't need more of us. They need more of him. This teaching isn't just for head knowledge for a few. It's for real life change for all of us. You see, discipleship, teaching, living out that identity in the triune God should be in reach first, where we reach inside of ourselves and we look at who we are and what it means to live that word out in our lives and then outreach, sharing that teaching with those around us. It's both together. Jesus closes out with restating a truth. He says, be sure of this. Actually, there again, the, the real translation should say, behold, look, see. He, he wants us to see himself, the reality of who he, who he is and what he's done. He wants us to see him that he is with us. He wants us to see his presence in the reality of our lives. He wants us to see how Jesus is present. He's omnipresent because he's God, right? In us, in his community. It's like in John chapter 14, verse 26, um, Jesus says that he's going to leave, but that he's going to give us the Holy Spirit to represent him, to teach us, to remind us of him, to guide us, to empower us every step of the way. And I love how Matthew closes out the very end of the book the way Matthew was started. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, and here's the, here's the natural tie over into Advent season, 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. It starts with the promise, they didn't get it. It ends with the promise, hopefully now we get it. Amen? I will be with you now and forever. So the big idea here is this. Jesus has called, equipped, and empowered us to follow him. He is with us every step of the way. So how do we move from belief to action, from knowing to doing, right? A couple things. Number one, spend time this week discerning and articulating what your life mission is. Why am I here? Who am I? Right? And if you want some inspiration, read Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. <laughs> because he says, this is what your life is about, right? And a follow-up question to that is, how are you living that mission out? And another follow-up question is, is what are the struggles along the way? What are the struggles that I'm experiencing right now that are, that are being barriers that maybe, like we said, last, I think it was last week or the week before, where fear reveals faith? What are the fears that we're facing? What are the obstacles that are derailing us away from Jesus instead of pushing us towards him, drawing us to him, right? What are we struggling with? Where are we having doubts? Where are we having unbelief? Where are we living in unbelief? That's on, a, that's on a individual level, right? Like, how are we moving from unbelief to belief in every area of our lives? And we can say belief. Belief is not up here. Belief is all of us. Belief is how we live it out, putting it into practice. And then the, the, the last question is this. Spend some time processing together with each other. Go grab coffee. Go grab lunch. Go hang out with someone from, from Greenhouse and process what this looks like for us as a church community, as a church body. How do we come together to live out his mission for us as a church? How can we live that mission out? And then the follow-up other question is just like the other, is, is how are we struggling? Where are we coming up short? Let's be, let's be honest, right? How are we falling short? How can we lean into that? How can we grow from and through that? That's my, my prayer this week. So I started off with talking about Instagram Reels. Some of you have probably um, uh, seen this pastor on Instagram. Some of you are like, they're just leaving ladders out now. See, that's the fun thing about meeting at a dance studio is that it's kind of like, where's Waldo? It's kind of like, is that part of the Sunday morning or is that just something that was left out, right? So when I was a, when I was a kid growing up in church, we had this old church it had super high ceilings, and they was like the old. It was like from the early 1900s, and um, and uh, um, there was like metal tiles, metal tiles. And as a kid, the the preacher was so boring, unlike me. Um, and and uh, no, just kidding. He was actually really good, but I was a punk kid and I didn't know anything, so I didn't really listen that much. But. Um, but I would look up in the, in the ceiling and count the ceiling tiles. And, uh, and that was how I passed my time as a kid in the church. But, but, uh, but yeah, so anyhow, back to the game. And so we're like, is that part of it? No, we're not using that TV over there. They just store it there. So, so. 
But a lot of you have probably seen this example. But it goes something like this. This is the world. I have the path of my life, right? I'm going to commit, oh, the world says make money. Okay, I'm going to make money. The world says pursue sex and sexuality. Oh, okay, all right. Um, So this is who I am now, right? Um, The world says do whatever makes you happy, right? And so you're just going to keep on going with that. And, well, I'm supposed to be happy. The world says if I do these things, then I must be happy. A couple weeks ago, I listened to this devotional, um, this video by a guy named John Mark Comer. Uh, He's a great author. Um, He actually has a book, Live No Lies, that that we're going to dig into at some point here, hopefully in the next year. Um, But he said... I don't know if you've ever heard of like progressive Christianity. It's not like progressive, like, hey, we're going we're gonna to progress. We're going to be relevant. We're going to be that. No, it's a full-on sellout to the world system. And he says, if you want to know where progressive Christianity, or it's basically, it's, Christ, it's Christianity according to the world. It's like, it's like inviting the culture of the secular world to tell us what we need to do as, as a church, right? And so a lot of issues um, about sanctity of life, sexuality, um, just, just, just all sorts of identity issues, everything like that, is just do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever makes you happy. Well, now Jesus has been replaced by me. What could go wrong? It's all about me, and I am the sovereign. And he says, if you want to know where that turns out, just go hang out in downtown Portland for a couple hours. Go hang out in downtown L.A., Let's see what happens in the world when we are left to our own devices, serving our own selves. It's not a pretty picture. But yet we're still telling ourselves and each other we need to go down that path, right? But then all of a sudden along comes this Jesus guy, and not the Jesus that the culture tells us is, but the actual Jesus from the Bible, who says things like, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I am here to set you free. I am here to forgive you. I am here to love you. I am here to transform you. I am here to give you capital L life. I am here to give you a life abundant. I am here to save your marriage, to save your soul, to save your, your, your sanity, to release you from addiction, to release you from all these different things, right? And the world is telling us, no, 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 no. And so what happens? Well, I go to church. Okay, well, this is pretty fun. I'm going to church now. This feels pretty good. I mean, sometimes he says things that maybe offends me a little bit, um, but he seems like a nice guy, and the music is great, and they have great stuff for kids. So, so yeah, this is pretty good. But yet, what are we doing? Right? We're, we're, we're struggling. Well, I don't know. I kind of want to go to that men's Bible study. I want to go to that women's Bible study. And, and so now... I'm kind of digging in and I'm seeing some things in my life where it's kind of like, ick, I, I do see how nasty this actually is, but yet I'm still kind of committed to over here because these are, this is the way I've always lived. And so I'm going to double down on this. Well, now all of a sudden I'm not a follower of Jesus. I am a insert blank follower of Jesus because all these other things come before our relationship with Jesus. I'm a world-based, but, but yet I also really want to experience that freedom. <laughs> At some point, if I could have a higher ceiling, when we, when we build a gym, I'm going to get the biggest ladders. We're going to do this right, right? 
But what happens? I can't keep on going in these. I will have to choose either one or the other. Because the higher I go, the more it's going to stretch me and the harder it's going to be to actually believe either one. Now what happens is most of the time, and I'm, I'm heartbroken to say this, most of the time, this stupid ladder wins. I have more friends that have given up the faith because Jesus didn't play they wanted, didn't, Jesus didn't play the way that they wanted him to. Jesus was never sovereign for them. I want to choose this instead. But Jesus says, follow me. Go all in with me. Don't look back. Don't defend that. Don't stick to that. That's what the gospel says. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now here's the thing. I have been in times in my life where this is a very lonely existence. Because, and, and what happened was when I started getting serious about Jesus in high school, now all of a sudden I was like, oh, you terrible people, you terrible, horrible people. How dare you, how dare you, right? Guys, I've fallen from 13 feet before and survived, so this is not going to hurt me, so just kidding. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it's easy to all of a sudden now to compensate for my, for my past and for my loneliness. I'm going to start being mean to that. But the, the reality is, though, is that as I'm growing closer to Christ, guess what? Other people are too. Guys, this is the most powerful example of how to save your marriage that you will ever see. Anybody struggle with their marriage? A lot of times people say, fix yourself for each other. And what happens is that we try to control each other because I need you to do this and you need me to do this. And so now we're at a battle of wills. Our friendships are the same way. Our neighborhoods are the same way. Our parenting is the same way. Our churches are the same way. But in all reality, the most important thing that we can do for our marriage, for our kids, for our friends, for our workplace, for our teams, for our clubs, for our classes, is get closer to Jesus. Because as we're getting closer to Jesus and they're getting closer to Jesus, guess what? We're getting closer to each other. There's going to be hiccups. There's going to be conflict along the way but we are growing closer together in Christ. What's happening is that too often we're still trying to do this. Is it making sense? Are you scared yet? <laughs> Guys, my prayer is that this, this sticks in us. That we think when we are struggling, what ladder am I on right now? Play the movie out on either ladder. If I want to stick to my guns on this issue... Where's it going to take me? Jesus is with us to the very end. We are baptized into the identity with God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Our past is gone. It should not have power over us anymore. Yes, we're still going to struggle with those old patterns. But yet he gives us the spirit to rewrite our story. If we play the movie out this way, it's not going to end that well. Let's dig into that. Maybe this can be a good visualization of, of what does it mean to follow Jesus, to live out the mission that he calls us on. God, guys, it is not an option. It is a command. It is a calling. 
We don't need more people just to start coming to church because it makes our church look better. We don't need people who take certain acts just because it makes us feel better about what we're doing. We need people who are radically sold out to Jesus, to that relationship with him, and what it means to live out that radical discipleship of surrender to him as the king, as the Lord of our lives. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you that you, you draw us to yourself. God, that you didn't just give us a Band-Aid to cure cancer. Instead, you root it out. God, you give us a new heart. God, I pray that, that we can, can listen to you, that we can surrender to you. God, just fill us with the truth of your spirit, with the truth of your word. God, some of us maybe are fighting that. Some of us maybe are trying to, to rationalize this ladder and say, yeah, but, yeah, but. God, help us to see that. Help us to, to see where that's going to lead us. God, help us to see the love that you give for us. The fact that you meet us wherever we're at, but you love us too much to leave us that way, God. You, you give us your spirit. You give us your word. You lead us in the process of sanctification, of closing that gap between us and you and our experiential everyday lives. God, help us to pursue that. God, this morning as we close out this series with the act of communion, God, I pray that, that as we take the bread and take the cup, that we remember that there was a price paid for that deliverance, for that freedom, for that life. God, help us to remember that you gave everything so that we can have everything in you. God, I pray that, that we do that in humility, do, that we do that in boldness. God, you are not a weak and powerless God. Instead, you are sovereign over all. All authority has been given to you over this world, over my life. God, and that is the best news that we can ever hear. God, this morning, I pray as we close out with, with communion and worship, God, that we would just be able to worship you. If there's doubt in this room, God, help it. Help it to reveal our need for you even more. God, we thank you. God, I thank you for Mateo for, for uh, his excitement to, to take that step of, of discipleship called baptism. God, and as, as we're done, as we head downstairs um, to, to hear his story, God, I pray that what we've looked at this morning in your word would just echo strongly and we can see an example that we can be encouraged, that we can be challenged, God. God, we love you so much and we thank you for loving us first. We pray these things in your name. Amen.